Hello and welcome back to Flash Knockdown, the weekly podcast brought to you by Matchroom Boxing, episode six, and still no PT45 just yet, so we must be doing something right, as Eddie's not given us the boot for now. I'm your host, Jamie Ward, as always, joined by my colleague, producer Scott Hamilton. We're back at Matchroom HQ this week, and here's what we have coming up for you all. Alicia Baumgardner has touched down in London. She previews her super featherweight unification against Michaela Mayer this weekend. We also catch up with Billy Joe Saunders. He recalls his fight with Canelo Alvarez and talks what next for him. Matchroom's very own Frank Smith talks the business side of boxing from a CEO perspective. European featherweight champ Jordan Gill takes on our dance partners challenge and Shannon Courtney runs over the best things to happen in boxing last week. Don't go anywhere. Well, this weekend at the O2 Arena, long-term rivals Clarissa Shields and Savannah Marshall will finally collide. And one fighter who we know pretty well is also in a huge fight of her own on that card. Alicia Bumgardner joins us next. Alicia Bumgardner. Welcome. I'm just making sure I've pronounced that right. It's the first time we actually did an interview. You stopped the cameras and told me off for saying it wrong. Do you remember that? And just please tell me that my pronunciation's improved. Alicia. Sia. Like, you're going to see me, so Alicia. Alicia. Alicia Bumgardner. That's correct, right? Correct. (laughs) Well, you arrived yesterday in (laughs) London for... What will be your third fight now on British Shores in a row? You absolutely love it here. I mean, this is your first fight week in London, though. I know you've always wanted to do some sightseeing. Do you think you'll finally get a chance this week? I would say so. I would say that London is, there's so much to see. And I'm just excited again to be here again for the third time. So, pretty exciting thing. You know, I've been following you on social media, putting in some serious work in the gym, but mentally, physically, how happy are you with, with the shape you're in heading into this fight? Um, 100%. This fight is is huge. I've been prepared. I've been preparing for this fight for at least three months. There was talks about the fight happening. So I've been in the gym and, you know, we put the work in for camp. So now it's time to have fun Saturday night. Absolutely. We can't wait. And since that night in Sheffield, when you broke a lot of hearts at the time, it's fair to say, when when you beat Terry Harper, has life changed for you, do you think, over, over the last year or so since that night you became world champion? Um, yeah, you know, again, just building my my resume in the sport of boxing and just, you know, putting the 130 division on alert that I will be undisputed very soon. And your rival with uh, Michaela, I just want to talk a little about it because it goes back a little while now, a bit like uh, Clarissa and Savannah, but you feel since those amateur days that she hasn't really improved. When you Look at her as a fighter. Just tell us what you see. Honestly, I just see a, a seasoned amateur fighter who decided to turn pro and give it a shot and was given the opportunity. And um, that, that's all I see from Michaela as a seasoned amateur. And from your perspective, I suppose, you know, you could have defended your WBC and IBO belts and, and looked elsewhere, but you were very vocal. You wanted this fight. You pushed for this fight. Why take this fight right now at the age of, of 28. Why is it important to you, Alicia, that you're in this fight at this stage? I believe taking this fight is about timing. And again, one thing about me, I stay in the gym, I stay ready. This is for history. This is for legacy. And like I said before, boxing is my life. There's no plan B. So the time is now to make this fight. And I'm more than ready to win Saturday night. And not just win. You're here to, to win in style and prove you're the best super featherweight in the world. Do you believe that's what you'll do this weekend? Absolutely. You will see a knockout. And you're not short on self-belief. Uh, you're not shy in saying, 
what you think either. Michaela says the beef is real between the pair of you. Is, is it? Is there a genuine dislike in there between the pair of you? Yeah, there is. I don't like her. She doesn't like me. Makes the sport even better and builds the fight for uh, what's soon to come on Saturday night. Why is that, Alicia? What, what, what do you think of her as a person and how she's conducted herself in the build-up? Because she thinks you've been immature and angry. I actually read that this morning, but what do you think of her? Oh, is that true? That's funny. Um, I just think, you know, at this stage in her career, she knows that she has a real threat in front of her. She understands that she has so much to lose because she has the platform. She's been on ESPN. And to her understanding, I'm just some girl who came out the blue and became a world champion. And now I'm challenging her and her on her platform to beat her. And so she, she doesn't like it. She, you know, her back is against the wall, but she has no other choice but to fight. And, you know, she should have just moved up to 35, but now she's going to have a loss on her record, which is even better. So no complaints there. Well, let's speak the win into existence then, Alicia. You win, you wake up with the WBC, IBF, IBO, WBO belts in your hotel room. What's next? What's next after mm-hmm. you beat Michaela Mayer? What's next is undisputed. Like I've mentioned in pre- previous times, we want Choi for her belt. And again, be undisputed at 130. I set my mind on this goal um, since turning pro, and here we are, uh, one step closer to getting to that um, goal mark. Well, it's a testament to yourself and uh, Maya for, for putting the unification on the line. Do you think Choi wants to get involved? Because she's only had, what, two fights in the last two, three years? She's very inactive. You know, I'm not sure of her status. All I know is whatever it takes to make that fight or however it's supposed to go, I will be undisputed. I can't can't speak for Choi too much, but um, I'll have her belt sooner or later. I'm not sure if you saw Michaela singing, did you, Alicia, in a recent IFL interview, singing a bit of Spice Girls. Are you much of a singer? Listen, I can barely see in her voice, so um, I didn't hear it. And um, she was singing <laughs> that, that Spice Girls song. She said that's her Ringwalk song. I believe you walked out to, to Queen, didn't you? Another one bites the dust. Have you got your, uh, your Ringwalk song on lock for this Saturday night? I do, yeah. It's a little, a little different spicy song, but it says a message, which I like. So she can pick the Spice Girl song. It's all good. I take it, uh, can we get some sort of exclusive, or are you going to surprise her in the ring with, with what you're walking out to? Um, It's called Never Ever. Never, never, ever. That's was never, ever. <laughs> we, don't, we don't put the R's on our on the last <laughs> bit of our word. So it's called Never, Ever. <laughs> and, what, and what's the message that you, you're sending to Michaela Mayer with that song then, Alicia? You can never be on my level. Perfect. Now, I asked you this in Manchester. You gave me a brilliant answer. This weekend, Michaela Mayer, Alicia Baumgartner, for those watching around the world, what is on the menu this weekend? Our Saturday's menu is um, a three-course meal. The dessert is going to be the special part when the belts um, are around my waist. And you're just going to have to stay tuned and stay hungry. Brilliant, Alicia. I cannot wait to see this fight. Just before we do let you go, can we push you for a prediction for the main event, Shields Marshall? How do you see that one going? That fight is going to be electric. I see it going the distance. And I'm not sure whose hand will be raised. Either it's going the distance or someone's getting knocked out. I have a belief in both fighters. They're both hungry. They both have power. They both have experience. They both they don't like each other. So, again, we'll we'll kind of see another fight like Mayer and, and, and myself um, for the main event. Well, Alicia, we cannot wait. Uh, we have belief in you that you're going to go and win this fight on Saturday night, and we look forward to watching you do your thing and the new, adding to that collection. Best of luck 
this weekend and we'll catch up with you very and soon. The news. Well, great to catch up with Alicia Bumgardner. Honestly, the first time I interviewed her was when she came over, obviously, to fight Terry Harper. You know, she, she was here in the UK boxing for the first time as a pro. And I think, you know, sometimes we get away fighters come over. Um, I like to think of Matchroom, we, we treat everyone well. But I think sometimes they come over with a bit of a... Yeah, she had her back to the wall. A little bit, yeah. A little bit. That's she won't mind me saying that. But, you know, I think the first question of the interview, she sort of was giving me a, a dagger stare and stopped the interview because I said her name wrong. And I was stumbling and bumbling all over my words for the next uh, <laughs> four or five questions. But look, Elise is really cool. Great fighter as well. Can really punch. I think she showed, you know, I think some people were disappointed in her performance in Manchester. But I think for her, it was important just to show a bit more of what she was about. You know, we know she's got the power. Look what she how she beat Terry. Now, we're good friends with Terry, but it was an emphatic stoppage, wasn't it, really? This fight with Maya, it's a, a step up for her in a lot of ways, but how do you how do you see her winning this fight? Yeah, it's, it's tough, let's be honest. Both world champions in their own right. I think it's clear she's got to knock her out, to be fair. You know, Maya is a bit of a, a purist boxer. She said it herself. There, exactly, so I don't think we really need to say too much more than that, to be fair. She needs to go in and get the knockout. I think one thing I would say is about the last fight in Manchester, maybe being in a little flat, it was quite late notice, don't forget. So, you know, she's had, by her own admission, very good notice for this training camp. She's been locked in on Maya. So she knows what she's got to do to get the job done. In the main event, obviously, we uh, we worked with Savannah. Uh, I believe since, you know, maybe was it four or five fights in, was it? She signed with Matchroom? Yep, she's been, um, she was with us for a while. She was with us for a little while. Obviously, saw her become world champion against against Hannah Rankin. How do you see that one going? It's a, it's a pick em, really. I, I'm leaning towards Savannah Marshall in this fight. Yeah, I would love Savannah to win. Um, I text her and Peter in the week saying best of luck. I just... Just got a feeling Shields might make it quite boring and just knows how to win. You know what I mean? So I'm going with Shields on points, um, but I hope I'm wrong. She's a great operator, Shields. Can't knock her, mate. Great operator. That's why she's a... Allegedly. She's a pound-for-pound pound queen, apart from Katie Taylor. I was going to say the quote, but then, yeah, yeah. You're <laughs> right to step in and uh, throw Katie's name in that mix, definitely. <laughs> definitely. Well, you were um, you were covering the show in Mexico remotely. A few cracking fights on that card. Definitely some... Worth going to watch back on the zone. Yeah. Uh, any of note? Yeah, I mean, first and foremost, we sort of teased a couple of weeks running... You know, some of these Mexico, Spain shows are a little bit sleepers, should we say, but certainly delivered four-fight card, and I think every fight was was a cracker. I mean, the chief support was for the IBF world title. Genuinely, is a fight of the year contender. If you haven't seen that, it was Nonchinga against uh, a Mexican guy who got dropped, come back into it, back and forward, blood, sweat, tears all over the place. I've seen the rants as well. Oh, yeah, yeah. epic in, in, the, the corner. in the corner. Yeah, yeah. great stuff. Well, Eddie posted that on his Instagram. So if, you, if you're if wondering what we're talking about there, definitely go and check that out. Obviously, the main event, Estrada getting the job done, as always, in a good fight, and it sets up the trilogy, which I think everyone is uh, very excited to see over the line. Yeah, he went through some, some rough patches in that fight. I think Cortez, a bit of an unknown going in, he'll come off the defeat with a bit of credit and we'll probably no doubt get another crack. But yeah, like you say, December the 3rd, locked in the trilogy with Chocolatito, one apiece, and it sets up for a mega fight to uh, to end the year. And we announced the Australian card, our first venture down under at 9pm on a Sunday night. So cheers for that, Ed. Disrupted a few Sunday night roast dinners, late roast dinners, but <laughs> that card, I mean, it's exciting. You're, you're going to be heading over there, Scott. Let's just talk through that card, Paro against Jarvis, an, an interesting fight. I actually saw a picture of him the other day that someone posted on Twitter. It was a side by side shot of him at a weigh-in from I think his second pro fight which is a bantamweight and then a weigh-in from his last fight I mean he literally looks twice the size so he's coming up to Paro's weight you know the winner would certainly close in a world title Sky Nicholson's fighting for her first title the Commonwealth title and uh, Dempsey McKean who uh, trains just down the road in the matchroom gym looks to cement his spot in the top 10 with the IBF he's in an interesting position really he can't really lose and sooner or later he will be called up for a big fight so yeah interesting card and um, looking forward to that long flight 
Yeah, de- yeah, definitely. And I'm, I'm happy for Dempsey to get that opportunity. Um, tricky Southpaw, uh, good man as well. And let's just talk about the big one next week. Obviously, we can't not talk about Canelo Triple G three. It's come around so quickly, though. I remember talking about this like ten weeks ago. I think we started doing the countdown like sixteen weeks out, and now, like you say, we're flying in less than a week. So yeah, it's come around really quickly. I think that's one thing about this job. You do wish your life away a little mm. bit because everything is building up, counting down, counting down, counting down. So the weeks just fly by, I think, even more quicker when you're looking to what's going to be a very, very stacked end of year for us. Obviously, our next UK show, September 24th in Nottingham. I was down at Ben Davison's Performance Centre in Harlow, Essex, actually, tucked away in a little industrial state uh, with Lee Wood, of course, as he prepares to fight Lara. Billy Joe Saunders was back in, in the gym. He's going to be on the show a little bit later on, so we're going to have a catch-up with Bill to see how he's getting on and Talk Canelo Triple G as well. Josh Taylor in the gym. It's a good little atmosphere down there. And Lee really fancies this. Ben believes he wins by knockout. Lee believes he wins by knockout. He, he was sparring. He looked good. He looked strong. looked fit. Excited for this fight. Just can't wait. Yeah. I mean, I said it on the pod two, two or three weeks ago. Shootout. Like, I, I think it, it could go within four. I really do. You know, Lee maybe starts a little bit slow. We've seen that, obviously, with the, with the Conlon fight. So, yeah, if, if Lara comes out the traps from, from the, the opening bell, it, he literally could be carnage. <laughs> Well, somewhat in a twist of fate, as I was down Ben Davison's gym yesterday filming some content with Lee Wood, I exchanged a few messages with producer Scott and I asked who we're getting on the ringside reflection segment of the podcast this week. And literally, as I was sending that message, in walked Billy Joe Saunders and sealed the deal. Well, Billy Joe Saunders joins us now. Bill, great to have you on the show. How's life treating you, mate? Yeah, good, mate. Just enjoying a bit of uh, downtime. Had a nice year out, getting a bit bored, itchy fist, started a little bit of training, shifting some timber. Seeing where the road to take me, you know. But the main thing is I'm in good health, family's good. So, yeah, life's, life's okay, mate. Life's okay. Great stuff. Great to hear, mate. You mentioned uh, a little bit of a year out there, a bit of a layoff. Obviously, you suffered the eye injury in the in the fight with Canelo. Just talk to us about the rehab for that one, mate, because it was quite a nasty injury, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, look, you go. I went from my checkup to my doctor. Um, he was happy the second time I went, but the first time I went, it was just perfect, you know? Everything all clear. You know, that gives... Listen, the first the first thing is obviously your health. So, it's, you know, it's pointless boxing and whatever you're boxing for, millions or... Uh, hundred pounds you've got to make sure that your health's intact you know if I decide which you know it's looking like I will come back then uh, I can it's just about enjoying a bit of training now rather than the big slog of you know defending against this one defending against that one this promoter that promoter it's just it's nice now just to you know have a clear head and 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 can see where I want to go rather than where people want me to go when he landed that Short Bill, at the time in that fight, did you know within yourself straight away that there was a problem? Did it feel different to perhaps how you previous felt in fights? Well, no, I, I was bending low a lot earlier on in the fight. And the difference is that with world-class fighters and elite fighters, you know, they capitalise on that. And looking back at it, I know where I went wrong in that fight, you know, dipping to my right, dipping to my right, because, you know, he didn't give himself enough room to let the lead and up a cut go for the first few rounds. But then obviously he got the gist that, you know, I was dipping to my right, then coming up, countering up the top. But, you know, listen, he's a world-class athlete and he picked up on it. But listen, as soon as he hit me with the shot, obviously I knew that something was up because I thought I was wobbled at first because I started moving around and um, I realised that about 10 seconds that, you know, my legs were all right, but you were seeing like three, you know, with one when I, you know, out the one eye, when obviously there was about, what was that, about 45 seconds left. And I can just remember wind going past each, Hero every time I was ducking low. Um, 
And then obviously when I went back, you know, I wanted to go out and have a go for a round. But Ben, obviously, I've been around Ben a long time, you know, and Ben knows me inside out and he knows what sort of art I got. And he said, look, it's time. It's, you know, we can't let you go on like this. But listen, am I, listen it, it was one of them I probably happened for the best, really, because, look, you know, any young fighter out there, coming up the, you know you don't want him to have lose eyesight in the sport it is what it is you know but listen I'm privileged to share the ring with him great fire um, his attributes are very very good his timing's very good and his upper body work and I think that um, he's got up and coming fight with Golovkin I think that you know I think now could be the time to get him out of there if he, he, he comes back from the defeat well that fight with uh, with Canelo Bill have you, how many times have you watched it back have you watched it back and if, if so how did you feel you were ferried into in the fight up until yeah I've watched it back I mean, do you know what? It was, when I was in there, to be fair, I was switching off at times, and that's what you can't do, obviously, of elite. But to be quite honest with you, I wasn't thinking, oh, phew. I thought, I was more or less thinking, is, you know, is this it, who, who they were talking about? But, you know, he's very consistent, he's very professional, how he holds himself down, and consistency, he's very good at. And you mentioned there, you think this is maybe the time for Canelo to stop Golovkin, uh, be the first to stop Gennady Golovkin. Do you believe he does win this fight by knockout? I believe so, only because of the age factor. There's one thing, you know, we all, you know, in this sport, you can never beat, and that's age. And what is he, 40 years of age now, is that right? Yeah, correct, yeah, 40. We're just over a month out now, Bill, from another former foe of yours, Chris Eubank Jr.'s fight with Conor Ben. An interesting fight. How do you see that fight playing out? You know, it's very... I look at it, you know, a lot of people's favouring Eubank because of the size. You know, the clever thing that the Bens have done here is obviously put the, the weight restriction on him. Now, it all depends how he's going to handle that, you know, 33, 32, 33. You know, getting down to 157 and a half and only allowed to put on, you know, so many pounds on before, ex, you know, a certain time. You know, a lot of fighters might not rehydrate up to where they need to be at that. And when he says he's at 60%, he's probably saying that to cover his own back, if I'm honest, because, you know, perhaps that's even worrying him a little bit. So I'm going to put it out there as a completely 50-50 fight. One, if you were to give Conor Ben another year's experience and then giving them a basketball weight scenario, I would most definitely, without his attack, play Conor Ben. You know, with the experience Eubank's got, you know, he's been in some, you know, big fights, that Conor Ben, you just can never write him off. And I've just got a feeling that He's going to pull something out the bag. I've talked to him and, you know, been talking to him for a while. He looks so composed. He looks so, he wants it so bad. And there's something on the line here that, you know, no one will ever understand, only them. And I, I believe that kind of wants it more. How important is it, Bill? You've obviously been involved in huge stadium fights yourself. You mentioned that word composure there. How important is it that he handles the pressure that's on his shoulder and the, the atmosphere that's going to be in the arena at the O2 on October the 8th? I personally... You know, he's got a look, he's got the best man he can ever have around him to explain them sort of things, and that's his dad, you know, explain them better than me. But, you know, I look on his WhatsApp, and he's up in the gym, and he's running all these long runs at up past fives and up at four, and, you know, he really, he's doing this for his family's name. Where I think Eubank is just doing it because, you know, it's good money, and, you know, it's attention, and he's enjoying the attention. But, you know, don't forget there's business there, and, you know, someone's coming, and he, he's going to come hard. You know, if I if I had, if I I had was given £100 and had to put it on, most definitely it would be on Conor Ben. Bill, you've always said Chris Eubank Jr. will never win a world title. Do you still stand by that statement? I stand by that statement as long as my name's Billy Joe Saunders. He will never become world champion as long as he's got a hole in his ass because there's one thing he can't do, and that's box. He can fight. But he can't box. And to be world champion, you need to box. You need, whether you can fight or not, you need to box to be successful and, and become a world champion. Everybody at this sort of level 
bring something different to the table. You know, some can box a bit better than others, but can't fight as good. Some can fight better than others, but can't box as good. To me, and this is why I say Conor Ben's got a brilliant chance, because he's nothing spectacular. Fitness, that's it. Bill, you mentioned there that if you had 100 quid to put on, you'd put it on Connor. I spoke to Ben yesterday at the gym, and, you know, he was saying, look, if Bill's going to come back, you sort of mentioned it earlier, it's got to be the right fight. If Chris Eubank Jr. does beat Connor Ben, is that a rematch that you're interested in having? Is, it, is there still one finished business there from your side? <laughs> let's, let's put our cards on the table. I mean, boxing's a business as well as, you know, it's nice winning your, you, you know, your awards and, and, and achieving everything. But at the end of the day, we put so much in so early on. So, look, I'll beat him in 2014 now. It's a long time. The fans want it. So, if the fans want it, I've been pro now and they've supported me. I've had many fans, you know, come support me world titles and, you know, get behind me on social media and stuff. And, you know, I generally have got good fans. And so has he. So, it's more the fans deserve it and it's good business. So, I'd be well and truly very happy to sit down and do a deal. But as everyone knows, the Eubanks are very hard to do a deal with. But as I'm sure, the, the, the thing what will probably get this deal over the line if this fight was to happen is obviously I've got the victory over him. So, you know, he's always he's always got to come back and try and get that victory back, any man. But uh, most definitely that fight's fair and it's, it's suitable for everyone money, then, then, then I can't see it not happening. I think you made the famous quote, Bill, didn't you? I'll, be, I'll beat you every day of the week and twice on a Sunday when you were talking about Eubank Jr. The rivalry, the build-up to that <coughs> fight and beyond, it was great. You seem to just enjoy it all, eh? So, uh, as fans, uh, yeah. why wouldn't we want to see it again? And, and, and yeah, and, and look, I don't mean to be disrespectful when I say that. You know, I don't mean... Because I, I will say, as, as I find it in boxing, he just hasn't got the skill set to beat somebody with my boxing brain. It's just simple. Can he Can he come in and, you know, try stuff? Of course he can. But, you know, anybody, you know, super fit with his boxing brain on will beat Eubank. Do you know what? Like his promoter even asked me, what do we think about making the fight of Andrade? And I said, stay clear, because he would get his head pinged off. You know why? Because Andrade's got a jab and feet work. That's it, you know? And somebody like that with Eubank is an absolute nightmare. If you want to stand there, look, what the thing is I don't want to see Connor do is have success and hold his feet there and keep doing it. Because 12 rounds is a long, long road. You know, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. And you don't realise how long it is until you're in one of them deep defining fights where, you know, time seems to be moving, you know, minutes feel like seconds. That's what Eubank likes. You know, he'll let you have all this success until you gas out. And then he'll try and come. Rather than, you know, be happy of ones and twos and, you know, your little, you know, your little pivots at the side and body and head and, you know, have a little walk, have a little showboat, get your breather. You know, don't, you know, when he wants to rest, make him work. That's how you beat him. And um, I do believe that he's got a chance. Well, Bill, we can't wait for that fight on October 8th. Just my final one to you, mate. Do you believe we could see you back this year? Or do you think boxing fans around the world need to look forward to Billy Joe Saunders getting back in the ring in 2023? Yeah, I think, listen, I think this year is definitely um, marketable for myself. You know, I'm in the gym now, just enjoying myself going twice a day. Just enjoying it with the lads. And, and I seem to be enjoying it. And, the, you know, the weight's coming off and I'm getting fitter by the day and just feeling to myself by the day. But look, I'm not going to rush anything. When I'm ready, I'm ready. It could be the end of the year. You know, it could be early next year, but we'll soon find out. All depends what opponents are available. Great stuff. Well, we can't wait, Bill. Great to catch up with you. I'm sure the fans will love hearing from you and uh, we look forward to seeing you back in the ring very soon, mate. So thanks very much for coming on. Cheers, Bill. Take care, mate. Cheers, lads. Bye. We move on now to our Everyone But The Fighter segment, the part of the show where we pay focus to just that, everyone but the fighter, let me hand you back over to producer Scott, who's going to tell us all who we're speaking with this week. 
Well, Jamie, we're bringing it a little bit closer to home this week. We've had hand wrapping, we've had cuts, we've had shorts making, we've had video content. Shout out, Coogan. Shout out to all our guests. <laughs> Don't be partial to uh, just yeah, Mr. Cassius. <laughs> we're going to talk to Frank Smith, Matram's very own CEO this week, and get his insight into the boxing business world. Mr. Smith. Yeah, we better, um, better give him a shout, I suppose. Better behave. Well, Frank, your path into Matram has been told before, so we won't necessarily go over old ground from raffle ticket seller to T-boy to chief executive to CEO now, of course, but we are going to discuss some of the boxing business world today. First of all, I walked into Ben Davison's gym yesterday down in Harlow, and I thought, what's Frank Smith doing here? He's a better-looking version, much better body, probably. <laughs> I haven't seen him with his top off. I don't think you need to put yourself down like that, mate, to be fair, but it's the hair. Similar hair? Seeking inspiration? He's got better hair now as well. So I'm basically a two-bob. Ben Davison. <laughs> well, let's dive straight into it, Frank, because it is hot topic. So let's get straight into it. Last night, Tyson Fury calls out Anthony Joshua. Obviously, this morning we've had Frank Warren on Talksport. We've had Eddie Hearn on Talksport as well. Apparently, George Warren's been in contact with Eddie. A lot going on. What is the latest? I think we just ultimately we have to see what the offer is. It's all well and good. Someone saying I'll fight him in November, but if he's going to fight him in November and pay him a pound then it doesn't really make sense, does it? So that's the next step. Let's see what comes. You know, AJ said, AJ's up for anything, but ultimately it has to make sense. He's got a lot of options still. You know, even people say coming off the back of two losses, he's still a huge commercial drawer in the sport. Still one of the biggest commercial drawers in the sport. So, you know, let, let's see what comes back. But it's a good PR play from Tyson Fury because ultimately he could say, I offered him the fight, but, you know, the terms have to make sense. So that's going to be the key. Let's see what comes through. Well, Eddie said he's not sure if Tyson is serious. I mean, when you look at his timeline for the last four weeks or so, he's been retired, then not retired, then he wants half a billion, then he wants Usyk, then he wants Manuel Char. Now, he's almost quite respectfully calling out Anthony Joshua. So, a bit of a pinch of salt from, from our side. I kind of think Tyson Fury needs Anthony Joshua more than Anthony Joshua needs Tyson Fury. Anthony Joshua can headline against any of the you know, top 15, top 20 names in the heavyweight division, sell out arenas, do great numbers, as he's done all throughout his career. Tyson Fury can't do that. You know, he's done it in certain fights. He did well in the Dillian White fight. But that comes down to two fighters coming together. AJ is a star in his own right. I'm not saying Tyson Fury isn't, but I really feel like Tyson Fury needs AJ right now more than AJ needs him. Interesting. I suppose now AJ is the challenger. We've lost our bargaining chip, I suppose, not just on his name, but from a belt side of things. Does that make this fight with Fury any easier? Again, it comes back to what, you know, if they make a proposal and the, the numbers just don't, you know, you come out and say, oh, it is 80-20. You know, it doesn't make any sense. Belts are important. Like, we always spoke about the undisputed. AJ wanted to become undisputed champion. Still, I'm sure, a goal of his to become undisputed champion. But numbers still have to make sense. It's his job at the end of the day. You know, I, I think it's hard to say, does it make a... I think it makes it a bit harder, in truth. Because Fury's now going to have this inflated mindset of what he's worth to the fight because he's got the WBC title. But ultimately, you know, both fighters get paid out of how big the fight is as a whole, not just Tyson Fury. You know, Tyson Fury against one of the top 20 doesn't do as big a business as AJ against one of the top 20, in my opinion. Well, you all know the, the biggest gripe amongst boxing fans is that the best don't fight the best often enough. And boxing fans never quite understand what goes into the reasons behind that. I mean, my mates give me enough stick and ask me, look, why is AJ not fought Wilder yet? Why is AJ not fighting Fury? Money aside, what else is in the way of this fight happening? Look, I think it comes down to the deal, you know, but then you've also got the broadcast side of it. AJ, as everyone knows, is with the zone. Tyson Fury is with BT and uh, Queensbury, I believe. There's that side of it as well. So it's easy for everyone to say, oh, you've got to make it happen. But there's a lot of parties involved that you have to get it through. 
you know, we would never stand in the way of a fighter's opportunity. But ultimately, if a fighter has contractual obligations to a broadcaster, they have to be listened to. It can't just be, oh, yeah, perfect, we're going to do this because the fans want to see it. You know, that's not how life works. With Fury yesterday, it was uh, an old-fashioned call-out on social media. From your perspective, how do fights tend to get brought to your attention? Is it email? Is it text? I think Scott man- mentioned a, a fax machine yeah, that might be over some there. Some of our viewers won't even know what a fax is, but yeah, interested to know how does a fight land on Frank Smith's desk. Not fax machine anymore. <laughs> maybe maybe when I was making tea. That's how I used to get the tea, tea orders in. Yeah, look, I think we got a relationship with so many people in the sport now. Naturally, you're talking every day. You know, it's a bit like Eubank Ben. You know, we've not, I've dealt with Kala and Nissa for something like 15 years now since I started at Matchroom. And that was a conversation that started over a period of time. And then after a while, we thought, actually, we could make this fight happen. But yeah, it's just constant communication, speaking to managers, promoters, you know, trainers, everyone involved. Yeah, we look, we get deals done quite quickly, usually. Ultimately, it's just, it, we, we just want to make good fights, big fights and uh, make them happen. So normally, not the fax machine anymore, unfortunately. Some of the uh, bigger fights... You know, you're not talking about just a, a little email saying, yeah, perfect, all agreed, let's go ahead. It's 30, 45, 50-page contracts going back and forth, week after week, lawyers, you know, everyone getting involved. So, you know, sometimes it takes a bit longer. You're talking about that word relationships there. I think it was Tony Bellew who said that when he was with Matrim, he was never actually under any real contract. It was more just having your word and a shake of hands. I know that handshake is something that Eddie and Barry are big on. Is that still the case in today's market, do you think, with increased competition or is that still the matchroom way that we tend to operate look i think with everyone we'd work on the back of a handshake you know from our side ultimately though people want security as well so contracts are needed in this new era as well you know it's, it's a bit different now we've always been the same you know if we say we're going to do something we'll do it we well, mentioned about paper contracts there a lot of admin involved in these fights have you got an assistant do you need an assistant can i apply to be your assistant no, but I think you got more. I think you got a bigger future than that. <laughs> I think you could be the new Joe Rogan, to be Maybe, honest. Listening to your podcasts. Assistant, uh, we got people who help. I, I like doing a lot of things myself. Booking flights, I don't do as much, but I like control of what I've got going on. A bit of a control freak. So Even making your own tea. I've heard you mention that before. I do make my own tea. Have I ever asked you to make a cup of tea? I even no. go out and buy you Starbucks and Nando's yeah. sometimes. I know. But that's uh, no, that's the kind of place it is. It's. It, it, I don't think uh, any of us have changed, but... You know, you can apply within. If that's the career path you're looking for, Jamie, just uh, let me know. Mm, Going to bear that one in mind. Um, talking of that word admin, I just think it will bring us nicely on to talk about purse bids. Scott mentioned purses there, but can you talk to the fans about how it actually works? Because I think it is still a bit of a blurred line in a lot of ways to boxing fans. Yeah, look, we obviously try as much as we can not to go to purse bids with fights. We try and get deals done beforehand. A lot of the time we do. Did it with Bivol Ramirez recently. When it comes to purse bids, obviously, it's an open market. So every licensed promoter could bid for the fight. So if, Jamie, you become a promoter tomorrow and want to bid on maybe Bivol against, uh, sorry, Buatzi against Pascal the other day, and you got a, f- a million in the bank, you could have won that no, one. You could have gone and won it. It's a, it's also a process of, like, you get people involved. Like, Lou DiBella has no real relationship with John Pascal, but he's just thought, oh, I can cause some problems here, do a deal this way. And that's the business we're in. So sometimes if it's an opponent fighter that you don't really have a relationship with, they'll hold out on the basis that someone else is saying to them, I'll get this, you know, I'll, I'll make a big bid for this and we'll get this fight, you'll be home fighter, etc. So, you know, but we always push as much as we can to, to, to get a deal done beforehand. And the actual figure that comes from a purse bid can often be quite random. You know, you often see like 99 cents thrown on the end or $699,000. How do you calculate that cost? We have like a, say like the bid the other day was... Eight seven five, I think we bid for that fight. 
but sometimes it's like the Fury Fury uh, when we bid for Fury against White. Me and Eddie, we were in the I was in the car and we were going back and forward between like thirty four million dollars and thirty two million dollars three hundred and seventy five thousand three hundred and seventy six. I think sometimes we make up that little bit at the end that that's, that's the strange bit. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, there's there's thought that goes into it, but the the strange bit at the end is very much made up on the basis that someone might bid exactly the same, but without that strange addition. Have you ever won by by a very very small margin? No, no. I do think that it would be great though, just to win mm. by about five hundred dollars. Because sometimes when you Vastly overpay. It's like, oh my goodness, what like, we done. But yeah, yeah, but but that's part of a part of the game, I suppose. Like I said, you're going against sometimes not often reason, but just oh, I could cause some trouble here. I can get this fight, you know. And that's the only reason Lou Bella did it. He's got no interest in Joshua Boatsy's career moving forward, and he's. I don't think he's promoted John Pascal before. I don't know. Maybe is there any contracts when you're talking about splits and stuff that stick in your mind of fights that have been really difficult to get over the line perhaps fights that never actually got over the line because of those stipulations because I was speaking to Connor in the Isle of Wight and he said look Chris's ego got massively in the way of the negotiations for this fight he wanted his name first on the poster he wanted to walk second wanted to be in the home blue corner does that ever get frustrating is there anything that springs to your mind I actually spoke to Connor when we were making this I, I was obviously I've got an awkward position in the middle between everyone <laughs> ultimately we just want to make big fights and I said to Connor, have you ever heard of anyone not winning a fight because their name wasn't first on the poster and they walked first? It's a mind game, really. Like, is the truth. No one gets in the ring and goes, I've lost the fight now because my name was, uh, you know, it was the wrong way around. And I said that to Connor. I say it to a lot of fighters. It's like, it's all, ir- like, the truth is it's irrelevant. Irrelevant, yeah. Maybe, like, I'm not a fighter, so I don't have an ego. I don't have, like, I actually don't have an ounce of ego in my own life. So I just think, like, Maybe it's easy for me just to say, make the sensible decision and make a load of money. And we've had that so many times where it's like, don't worry about name, this, that, the other. Who cares? Colour of shorts. That's what we've had before. I pick for Ringwalk for music first. Who honestly cares? It doesn't make a difference. You said there you haven't got an ounce of ego. Do you think that's why you're able to deal with a stick you get quite well? I know Eddie put something in the, in the team group chat of someone who was messaging Eddie just to give you a bit of stick. How do you... How do you deal with the stick? As, especially, like, the more time you're spending in front of camera, people have more of an opinion of you. I think because I am just a fat kid from Romford <laughs> who's had an absolute touch and had it off and get to do something I love every day. Like, uh, boxing, I'm quite honest, boxing was never my first love. But actually, I love putting on events. I love getting deals done. I love working on shows. And, like, I just think it's all a bit, it's all a laugh. You've got to take everything with a pinch of salt. Some idiot from Grimsby calls me a fat twat. Then fair enough. That's what you think about me? No problem. I don't even know who he is. So I think you can get stuck up in all the all of that stuff. And uh, I think the ego piece is like, that's probably what's helped me where I am because we're in a sport full of ego. So to step back and go, who cares about this, that, the other? Let's just get deals. Let's just do the right thing. And that's, I think, important because so many people in this business will get dragged down because they care more about their own personal position and ego than actually doing what's right for either the fight or the business, you know, whatever. Well, with more territories, more flights, more nights in hotels for Frank Smith. I remember, I think it might have been last Christmas, you put up a mad stat of how many nights you'd spent in a hotel. Can you remember that number? I think it was 202. But I do it, I have to I have to keep note of how many days I'm away. And I did it yesterday. And I think I've done 130 days out of the country so far this year. 160 in hotels. And we're only in September. How do you keep going? How do you motivate yourself to, to do that and be away from home that much? My missus likes me away from home, I think is the, <laughs> the main point. But I think for me, like as I said earlier, boxing was never like my sole passion. I love putting on big nights and big shows. There's no better feeling than walking out to a venue and going, look at what we did here. Like Canelo Golovkin will do that. We'll sell out the T-Mobile Arena. 
sell out than in Nottingham, we'll sell out the O2 Arena. Then we've got the Australian launch. Then we've got a, probably a show in Mexico. Then we've got November 5th in Abu Dhabi. So you need these moments to keep you going. But at the same time, the negative points of like, oh, that show didn't do very well or this needs work or this could get better. That's what keeps me going as well is those up moments. And if it's not good enough, you get to walk out and go, this isn't good enough. We've got to improve it next week. So for me, that's what keeps driving me forward is it's not like competition. Competition's great. Everyone needs competition. But for me, it's like, I don't care what anyone else is doing. I just want to make it better each week. It very much is an attitude of always on to the next one, isn't it? I remember in Taylor Serrano was amazing, amazing week for the whole team. But we literally, we touched down in Vegas and we had a team meeting, I think on the Monday or Tuesday morning. It was very much right. Great job, but it's done now. And, yeah. and that's how you need to be. Is that how the, the attitude that you have yourself and you try and inject into all of us as a team as well. We've all had a touch really because we get to travel around the world, have a laugh, work hard. Work hard's important. We get to enjoy ourselves as well. I think that's a key point of it. And uh, it's always been the same here. It's always been ingrained like that hard work you can get anywhere. Like you say, I started here when I was uh, 14 years old, work experience, 16 full time. It's always been the same. You get opportunities if you put the graft in. You mentioned about your awkward position with Eubank Ben earlier. I just want to go back and ask you a quick question about this. For those who might not know, why is it an awkward position? My girlfriend is Chris Eubank's sister been with her for six or seven years basically should be married probably my fault and we obviously promote Conor Ben so that was a fun experience negotiating that fight between the two because I had to say certain things you would in any normal negotiation no one would think think anything of it but then I'd look in the next room I was going to say today go back to home you're getting some dodgy looks and at Emily, the table, yeah. Yeah. Emily would be giving me the daggers no but I was sitting one of the days I'd flown back from somewhere I was sitting at the kitchen table and I said, to, I was on the phone, to, it was to Connor, and some, you have to say things to drive people. At, like, it was about the ego point and all that. I walked out the room afterwards and Emily gave me these eyes like, you are, you know, and I thought, don't finish the <laughs> sentence, but I know what you're thinking. That that keeps it a bit entertaining. I'm going to have to sit there very quiet. I can't show any emotion. I'm just going to sit, not smiling, not laughing, not clapping, nothing. So uh, maybe I'll have to hide out the way on October 8th. Well, I was going to ask you this, actually, Frank. I don't want splinters up your backside here. I'm putting it on you. Who do you want to win this fight? <laughs> I, I want boxing to win this fight. <laughs> what I think, a cop-out. I think it's a great fight for boxing. What would you, what, if you remo- would you answer that question? Well, business first, right? Family close second. Isn't it? Oh, no, Eddie's no, it's the other way around, around isn't <laughs> it? I'll try to stitch up there. Yeah, it's fair. Thank, thanks, mate. Yeah. I do think it's going to be a tear-up, a complete tear-up, because they're, the they're the same kind of people in terms of they don't have quit in them. And I think I can't wait for it, but I'm going to be sitting there, probably not next to Emily. Probably have to go hide out, like I say, hide out the back somewhere, watch it on a screen. When a fight is on live, you're sat ringside, you just said there you can't necessarily, but you can't have an impact on the fight. But how does a fight play out through the eyes of Frank Smith? Do you know what? I Weirdly, I sit at every show, right? For most of the fight, like I'm running about a bit. But I don't really watch the fights. It's a bit weird. Like, I'm, I'm sitting there, but my mind's elsewhere. Because I'm like, my thing's always been, like I say, again, events. Like, I love putting on events. So I'm always thinking about what's going on up there, what's going on over there. Why is that not sorted? Why is that screen got that on there? Why is that not fit? You know, so, like, I'm never really watching with complete 100% engagement into the fight. And people say to me, what do you think about that? And I go, I, I don't really know, mate. I, I missed it because I was probably <laughs> looking at, like, the round clock and why it wasn't working on the screen or something like that. So in order then, Frank, to make it in this world, in the realm of work that you work in, what attributes do you need? What advice would you give to someone, maybe to your, your assistant, when you first sit down with him on his first day? If he wants to become Frank Smith, what does he need to do? Is this you asking for the future? Essentially, Jamie? yeah. Right, making notes. Everyone now 
or a lot of people now just want to walk straight into opportunities and go and do the top top job you know without without too much effort i think everything i've ever done has been with literal you know like hard work non-stop and what got me to the point i'm at now doesn't hasn't changed so like emily said to me the other day oh, you got to miss that you got to miss that show because we got to do this i was like no, i'm not missing a show she's like well, why don't you miss you got to miss a show you do 40 a year i'm like no because what got me here was doing everything i possibly could and that will never change and as long as i work here I will always have the same mentality. So I think it's just about giving 100% in everything you do, number one. Two is help where you can. doesn't mean you're an expert. Like, like I say, I'm not an expert at everything, but I will help where I can. And three, I'd say one of the biggest thing is no ego. And I probably had a stage of when I was like 23 years old, thought oh, I'm a bit of a laddie. Look, we're doing Klitschko, Joshua at Wembley, 23, 24, whatever it was. And thought, yeah, we're organising this show, blah, blah, blah. You know, actually... If you take ego out of it, it's so easy to get things done because that stands in the way of so many people succeeding, in my opinion. And that is probably for me. And like you can ask people, I don't think some people may think I have an ego, but I literally could not care. As long as I give 100 percent and do everything I can, that's that's good enough for me because a lot of people won't even won't get to that point. So and if you do that consistently throughout your life, eventually you win anyway. Great stuff. Well, ladies and gentlemen, leave your egos at the door, work hard and maybe by 30 like Frank Smith, you can also be driving a brand new G-Wagon Frank. Great <laughs> to catch up mate. Thanks for coming on and um yeah, well, I'll see you in a minute actually because we're going to come back over to the other side of the office. <laughs> Thanks boss. So it's not really a goodbye, it's uh, until next time. Well, it is that time of the week. Once again, dance partners. On the face of it, it is quite simple, but let's see if that continues to be the case this week. We speak to a fighter who's had 15 or more fights in their professional career. They then get 30 seconds to name as many of their opponents as they can in that time. As the weeks go on, we'll formulate a leaderboard and the winner will receive a donation to give to a charity of their choice. Now, who could we get on this week? Was the question. After Maxi Hughes launched himself to the top of the leaderboard last week, we scanned the stable further afield for another belt foot holder. How about European featherweight champion, Jordan Gill? Jordan, how are you doing, mate? I'm great, thanks. How are you? Very well, very well. Thanks for coming on. I suppose, first of all, I want to have a little bit about a chat about yourself, because last time I had a proper catch-up with you was in your hotel room the morning after the DDT drama against Karim Guerfi, one of the most amazing fights I've ever seen live. Uh, you had your sunglasses on, you had two perforated eardrums, but how's the recovery been since then, mate? It's been great. Um, I actually recovered quite quite well. I think it looked worse than what it was, but it did look pretty bad, I'm not going to lie. Two perforated eardrums, busted up me. I've had all the recovery in the world. had a hand operation as well, so it's been getting over that. I'm ready to go again. Looking forward to the next one. How is the body now? You just said you're about to start your second session there at 3 o'clock today, so... You're feeling good, you're feeling strong. And in terms of that next one, when do you think that could be? Yeah, I'm feeling great. Just looking forward to, to what's coming. I've proven myself at European level and I think the next step is world level. So I'm looking forward to hopefully fighting maybe October, maybe November, but more likely October. Feeling strong, feeling fit and uh, ready for whoever they put in front of me. Well, we've had a few names thrown into the hat. I know Kiko Martinez was mentioned as a, a fight you wanted, not necessarily on the back of a hand operation. We know Kiko's notoriously got a very hard head, hasn't he? It's going to be like punching a bowling ball if that happens. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Mauro Forte as well. Watched him quite a lot of times out in Italy. He's your mandatory, I believe. Uh, the post bids for that on Monday. Is that is that a fight you'd be interested in if, if you want to keep hold of that European title? Yeah, definitely. These are all big fights. And uh, Mauro Forte, he's a fighter that's not overlooked, but he's a dark horse in the division. He's 17 low. 
Italian, won some titles before, and he's, he's my mandatory. So if I want to keep hold of that European, then I've got to fight these guys. So I'm looking forward to them challenges and relishing all the challenges. You know, I'd prefer the Kiko fight because it puts me onto world level uh, and doesn't keep me in the same position. But I'm looking at every fight now. I want to progress and I want to move a step closer. Great stuff. One fight I do want to ask your opinion on is your former flatmate, I believe, and long-term friend, Lee Wood. Uh, is he feeling all right taking this fight? What was your initial reaction when you heard he was going to face Mauricio Lara as a, a voluntary defence as well? I'm buzzing for him. I think he's a great fight. I think it's one that fans can get their, their teeth sunk into. I think Lee's well up for it. You know, it's a fight that everyone's going to tune in to watch because they're two big punchers. Where Warrington had struggle, you know, had a struggle dealing with Lara, and I think it sets up a massive win for Lee, and I think it puts him at the top of division and, and straight into immunifications as well. well. I went to see Lee yesterday. He's in great shape, firing on all cylinders. He fancies the knockout. Ben Davison fancies a win by knockout. Is that how you see it unfolding as well? Yeah, I think so. I think it's not straightforward because we all know Lara can punch. He's very dangerous. He's got that explosive knockout power, but I feel like, you know, if you take both Lee's power away and Lara's power away. You know, I think Lee's got more in the reserves. I think he's got a lot more skill. He's got a lot more, you know, toughness he showed last time, that ring craft, that 12-round experience. And I think it's going to show on the night. I feel like Lee's got to get into him. He's got to bully him a little bit because, for me, I see a little chink in, in Lara's armour where he doesn't like to be bully, he doesn't like to be pushed back, he doesn't like the body shot, he looks like he's breathing with an open mouth after a couple of rounds and, you know, if Lee starts landing downstairs, taking away Lara's power as well, after four or five rounds, it's going to be very interesting, I can see you know, if it goes that long, if Lee hasn't knocked him out by then already, I can see him uh, getting a mid to late round stoppage Well, September 24th, live on the zone, Lee Wood, Mauricio Lara, don't miss that one. Back to business here though Jordan, because you've got business to take care of you are guest number six on our Dance Partners segment. Maxi Hughes currently tops the table with 18. We've got Josh Warrington with 15, Darren Barker with 14, Tony Bellew with 13, and John Ryder with nine. You've had 29 professional fights. I just wonder how your nerves are for this. Um, the pressure's on here, mate. Yeah, I, I can feel the pressure. Yeah, I didn't even know I had 29 fights. You've just told me. So Stop making that, excuses. That Come up. on. <laughs> it shows how good I'm going to be at this, but we'll have a go. I'm up for it. I like the challenge. It's all for charity, Jordan. So okay, mate. I'm going to give you a three, two, one, and we're going to start the clock. You ready? Yep. Okay, three, two, one. Karim Gurphy, uh, Emmanuel Enrique Tinoco, Manuel Dominguez, Ryan Doyle, um, Jason Cullinan, Jordan Ellison, um, Reese Bellotti, Cesar Juarez. Um, Yes, no, Talavera, um, Christian Lake, Sid Razak, Dan Naylor, uh, Harvey Hemsley, Chris Attaway, Barrington Brown. Time. Time is up. That was outside of the uh, the bell, I'm afraid. That so was good, Jordan. That was good. That was decent. Let me just have a little count up. We're going to go to the judges' scorecards. You're, you're not bottom. Okay. I don't think you're bottom. I, I think I know what I've counted, and I think you've just missed out on... Top spot. You might be in for a podium okay. position here. Jordan Gill, you scored 14. Oh, good score, Jordan. Good score. That Respectable. Is, that puts you level pegging with Darren Barker in the bronze medal position. I mean, when you won that European title with one of the KOs of the year, that was a special moment. But being in joint third position on the Dance Partners leaderboard, how, how does that fare in comparison, mate? Words can't describe it. I feel uh, 
it's an honour and a privilege to be there. <laughs> Top man, Jordan. Uh, always a pleasure to catch up. We look forward to fight news dropping very soon. Enjoy your session, enjoy your training, and uh, we'll be seeing you very soon, I'm sure. Thanks for having me. Top Cheers, man. mate. Cheers, Jordan. Well, as always, we're going to finish up and chat through some shouts by you, the fans, in answer to our question, what was the best thing to happen in boxing last week? Delighted to say, joining us this week is former WBA World Bantamweight Champion and now Celebrity SAS Who Dares Win star, Shannon Courtney. Shannon, how are you? I'm good, guys. How are you? Very well, very well. Thanks so much for coming on. I suppose my first question is, how was the whole experience? Obviously, you've still got the whole series to look forward to, uh, and I know you can't probably give too much away, but from your experience how did how did you enjoy it all yeah do you know what the whole the whole experience from the start to finish was it was brutal but it was incredible um definitely life-changing for me yeah you can't you can't sum it up just how hard it was how i'm so grateful that i did it because it's it's actually changed me as a person massively and yeah it was just such a great experience and you say life-changing there that's obviously great to hear but in what ways do you, do you feel that way? What do you feel you've learned about yourself through that whole experience? Um, I went in, half the reason I went into the show was I had a lot of demons that I needed to face. Um, I also feel like I've been portrayed quite badly in the public eye. Like people have only seen me on fight week. Where obviously, every fight is quite aggy on fight week. You know, you're a bit hungry. You, you're, you're locked in for a fight. You're not really yourself. And I don't feel like I've been portrayed as my my real self, to be honest. That's another reason I want to go on the show, to show who I actually am. When you're there, you kind of have no choice but to face it and just do it. And, yeah, it was, like I said, it was life-changing. Do you know what? And having four weeks of no phone, no social media, no no luxuries, no, no makeup, nothing, like just stripped back, fair, vulnerable, it's done me the world of good, to be honest. In terms of your boxing career then, do you, do you feel this new sort of outlook you have as regards to life in general... Are you also seeing it as a bit of a new slate, a new start as, as far as your boxing career is concerned? 100%. And even when I've come back into camp, all my team are saying I'm like a different person. My mindset's completely different. All my friends and family said, you know, the minute you come out of the desert, it was like a different person. So I kind of feel like going into this now, I'm a little bit like cringe, it sounds to say, like Shannon 2.0. And yeah, it's exciting. It's like a new start for me, to be honest. Definitely. We're excited and we're obviously all uh, very much behind you and on this journey with you as well. One thing I do want to ask you about, Shannon, this weekend, obviously, a historic night at the O2 Arena, an all-women's boxing card. Shields Marshall and uh, Michaela Mayer, Baumgardner as well. First of all, I suppose the main event, Shields Marshall, how do you see see that one going? Um, I actually think Savannah will win. I think Savannah will outbox her. Savannah hits extremely hard and people don't realise how her IQ and her ring awareness is second to none. Yes, definitely Um, an intriguing fight. Definitely an intriguing fight. Yeah, fantastic. And I also think the Mayo um, and Baga fight is fantastic. I think that will be more entertaining than the main event, to be honest. Yeah, we had Alicia on uh, on the show a little bit earlier on. She's going for the KO. Is that how you is that how you could see it ending? Do you think Alicia could stop her? Alicia can really hit. She's she's so explosive. We, should, we listen. We saw what she's done to Terry Harper. She's so explosive. She hits very hard. She's. I like the way she fights. She's ballsy. So yeah, I could definitely see that happening. To be honest. Brilliant. Can't wait. I'm going to hand over to uh, to producer Scott Shannon, w- which is his nickname yep. uh, from me on this show. <laughs> who's, who's going to throw a few questions out to us to go over. So uh, here we go. Here is Scott. 
or Jamie, first sure. of all, that nickname is not going to catch on. <laughs> it already has. Here we go. <laughs> so don't believe him. It's already caught on. <laughs> so the first shout this week is from Robert Sully, who suggests the best thing to happen in boxing last week was Andy Ruiz beating Luis Ortiz. He can still mix it at world title level. I think it's good to see uh, Andy Ruiz back in the ring. You know, I think he dropped him three times, did he? I've seen a yep. few of the highlights on the way to victory that night. For you, Shannon, uh, as a fan, who would you like to see Andy Ruiz mixing it with next, maybe in the next six months or so? I'd like to see um, him and Deontay Wilder. Cool, yeah. I think it'd be a fantastic fight. It'd be explosive. You know, Andy Ruiz has got the speed, and obviously Deontay's got the power. And from the clips I've been seeing of Deontay back in training now, he looks like he's sticking to boxing a bit more, which is interesting with Malik Scott. So I think that'd be a great fight to see. Adam Porter, who suggests somewhat tongue-in-cheek perhaps, that Fraser Clark knocking out a middleweight in a heavyweight fight was the best thing to happen in boxing last week. Do you know what? i say one thing. I really like Fraser Clark, how he conducts himself. I thought he was brilliant after Joshua Rusick um, in his honesty and, and how he spoke after that fight about you know what, what happened in the ring after that fight. And I thought he was brilliant coming out and apologising to the fans for, for, the, you know, for that guy... All due respect to him, you know, he, it was dangerous. He shouldn't have been in the ring with Fraser Clark. Did, did you respect him a lot, Shannon, for the for the way he conducted himself after that fight? You know, I haven't seen the fight. Obviously, I've heard about it, but I have seen the post-fight interview. And I, I second what you just said there, to be honest. As fighters, especially when you're on the bigger platforms, we're almost media trained on what we can and can't say. And, oh, don't say that it's frowned upon. Fraser says it how it is, and he might ruffle a few feathers, and he might upset a few producers or people on the team, but he's honest, and fans appreciate that. And he he was right what he said. You know, times are hard at the moment. People can't even afford their energy bills, and the people are paying their hard-earned money to go watch a fight. But it's to end in that fashion. It's not right. So for him to come out and say, apologise, I thought, fair play to him. Completely agree. I suppose from a, a matchmaking perspective, Shannon, how involved are you with that uh, in terms of conversations with Eddie, is that something you leave to the team? Do you have names that you'll put forward yourself? That's something that I just entirely, entirely leave to my team. I trust my team with my life and I let I know they, they do the right decisions by me. They know my style better than anyone. So I leave it all to them, to be honest. Well, D Best suggests the IBF sticking to their mandatory requirements and making Ebony Bridges fight Shannon O'Connell was the best thing to happen in boxing last week. Well, we know the IBF are very stringent, aren't they, with their, with their mandatory calls. Yep. Uh, Ebony Bridges against another Shannon. How do you oh, hello. Uh, what do you know about Shannon O'Connell, uh, Shannon Courtney? Do you know anything about her as an opponent? I've seen a couple bits of her. She looks quite strong, explosive. It would be, if it happens, it would be, be a very intriguing fight, especially to Australians. Um, yeah, I, do, I hope it does happen. I really do hope it happens. and I'll be watching, definitely. I suppose the, the natural question, Shannon, that you are so, uh, so overjoyed to always be hearing in every interview you do is when we might see if we might see the rematch with yourself and, and Ebony, is it still at some point when you've got back in the ring and you've got that confidence win back, some something that you have deep burning inside you that you do want to get over the line one day? Well, people always bring up to me and think, oh, it's something you, you know, that deep burn. I've already beat her. I have already beat her. Um, you know, and after my fight, she was screaming for the rematch and I said, you need something to offer me in order for me to want the fight to happen. It so happens that since then, she's won a world title and I've lost the world title. So now it's almost like if she was to sit there and say, well, Shannon needs to offer me something, fair play to her saying it because I said it at that stage of my career and she could say it as well. It's a fight that the fans 
definitely want to see. I can't say on here now. I'm waiting for you guys to pull your fingers out and announce my next comeback fight, which is very soon. <laughs> We're on the case. Um, We're on the case. Yeah, well, well, hopefully it gets announced this week. But <laughs> that, that's my only thought right now is to get that fight out of the way. First one back in a year. You know, I've had what hasn't been documented was I actually had two operations in the end, not one, because the first one didn't go correctly. So the first thing is to get back, have this eight-rounder, get the ring rust off. And then my next point of call is to get my to get my world title back. I want to rematch Shane Mitchell. Once that's done, um, then we can look at the British fight afterwards. And just finally, uh, this this was the, the biggest shout of the week and obviously only happened last night. Tyson Fury calling out Anthony Joshua. Well, I said this to Frank Smith, who came on the show a little bit earlier, Shannon. I mean, Fury, in the last few weeks, he's been retired, not retired, wanting half a billion, wanting to fight Usyk. And now almost very respectfully, after calling him a bodybuilder, has now offered Anthony Joshua an opportunity to fight for his WBC title. Um, is, it still the, is it still the biggest fight in the heavyweight division, in your opinion, opposed to Fury Usyk? With or without any belt, this is the biggest fight in, in heavyweight boxing. Everyone wants to see it. It's going to be a British all-headweight all fight. It'll be humongous, but I don't believe it happens. And... Listen, you can't, I know I'm obviously Matt Toom, I'm very, very good friend to AJ, but you can't help but like Tyson. And the fact that he's one minute saying he'll fight for three, then he wants half a billion, then he'll never fight again. Now he's offering Josh an opportunity. I don't know where we sit with all this. So we can all sit and discuss it. We can all read the headlines. Until I see it officially announced, I don't even want to discuss it, to be honest. (laughs) I agree. I mean, one thing we can say is that Frank Warren was on TalkSport and so was Eddie. Apparently, Frank Warren's son, George, has been in contact with Eddie and there's an official offer on the way to Team Joshua. So who knows? Maybe this is the time. When you least expected it to happen, maybe now could be the time. I, uh, God willing, it does. Because it'd be a humongous <laughs> fight and it would be fantastic and I'd better be on the undercard. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, me, Shannon, everyone around the world, boxing fans, would love to see that fight. We look forward to your fight news dropping very soon. That might be within the next 48 hours or so, we hope. So stay tuned across Matchroom Socials for that. And uh, great to catch up, Shannon. Thanks for coming on. We look forward to seeing you do your thing on SAS. And um, back in the ring as well. Back in the ring very soon. Fantastic. Thank you so much, guys. Brilliant. Cheers, Cheers, Shannon. Well, thanks as always for listening to Flash Knockdown. That was episode six. Blimey, they really have flown by. We'll be back next week. As always, send in your emails to flashknockdown at matram.com. That's flashknockdown at matram.com. And we'll be sure to run over all of your talking points on next week's show for the best things to happen in boxing. It's the big one next week. Canelo Alvarez, Gennady Golovkin, the trilogy. We can't wait. We'll see you in Vegas. (laughs) 